Well, if you would, tonight I'm going to have you turn to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Last week we were in the book of Genesis. This week we are in Ecclesiastes. We will be uh, looking at a section at the very end of chapter 12. And I'm just going to have you hold your place there. What we're going to do tonight is I'm going to share this message with you. And this message will serve as the devotion for also for our business meeting. If we had done this on Wednesday night when it was scheduled before we had uh, the cancellation due to weather, um, I would have done a devotion. Then we would have gone into the business portion. So I won't do another devotion. So when we go into the business meeting later on, I will open us in prayer. And then we'll go immediately to the first item on the agenda. And that will be the treasurer's report. Um, what we're going to do is, when this, when I'm finished with the message, uh, then the team will come back up and they will close us in song, and then we're going to take a break. I realize maybe some of you are not going to stay for the business meeting, um, so we will have kind of an intermission at that time. And no matter when we end tonight, um, we're going to reconvene at 7.10. So even if we end early tonight, we've already announced publicly that we're starting at 7.10, so we want to stick with that time just in case. I know there may not be many, but some people come just for the business meeting who haven't come for the service tonight. So that's what we're going to do. We'll end, have a break there, and then we will start uh, the business meeting, the annual meeting, immediately at 7.10 uh, tonight. Well, we are in the second message of a six-part series, which I've entitled Six Great Summations of the Christian Life. Um, as I mentioned last week, we were in the book of Genesis. Tonight, we are looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verses 13 and 14. Easy to remember, 12, 13, 14. So it's chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. It is the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, which has everything to do with what is said in this particular passage. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, I want to read for you verses 9 through 14 just to give us a little greater context of this Old Testament book where Solomon has been looking at life under the sun. He said everything is meaningless. And he just surveys life and what makes sense to him, what doesn't make sense to him. And then he comes to this great summation at the end of the book. And so starting in verse 9 of chapter 12, it says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is the weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or or evil. Now, in your bulletins today, if you have a bulletin with you, and I hope that you do, or someone in your family has one right with you, in the, under the title of the sermon on the very in the first page inside the bulletin, uh, I have this passage 
Um, in the New International Version 1984, which this church used for about 20 years, um, years used all the early years of my ministry, and I just love the, the way the NIV 84 puts this. And so I'll be referring both to the ESV and the NIV 84 tonight, so you might want to keep both together. In the NIV, it says this, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And I especially want you to focus on the second half of that passage. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this, for this is the whole duty of man. Knowing this, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Well, the first thing I want to do tonight is a brief review. That's our first point. I want to just go back over last week's message. I introduced the whole series. Uh, We won't spend a long time on this, but I thought it would be good to bring us all up to date. Intertwined in the Bible's complexity and simplicity are passages that summarize the Christian life, that get right to the heart and soul of living the Christian life. And that's what this series is about looking at six passages of Scripture that just summarize what the whole Christian life is all about. There are more than six in the Bible, but we are looking at six of probably the best known of those. The Bible, as I said last week, is beautifully complicated. It is. It is this bottomless treasure that you could study every waking moment of your life and still not exhaust all of its truths. And the greatest of scholars, men and women who have spent their whole lives in the discipline of studying the Word of God, will admit that there are still passages of Scripture that baffle them, passages of Scripture that are still difficult for them to understand. And I think all of us would admit that tonight, that there are still those parts of the Bible, still those things that we are wrestling to understand and probably will until we die. So, having said that, at the very same time, the Bible can be understood by children. It is simple enough, its main truths to be understood by children, to be understood by those with learning disabilities. So it is beautifully complex and at the same time wonderfully simple. And so we will spend our earthly lives reading, studying, and meditating on the Word of God. May it be the joy and delight of whatever time we have left on this earth, knowing that some of it will be harder for us to understand, but we keep digging and we keep learning. Always knowing this, as I shared with you last week, what we don't know is never an excuse for disobeying what we do know. What we don't know is never an excuse for disobeying what we do know. I really appreciated the feedback from last Sunday night's message. Actually, I had quite a few of you talk to me either after the service or throughout the week. And the, the common comment that I heard was, 
was that sometimes we lose the heart of our faith that we get so caught up in the peripherals or the hair-splitting theological issues or the side issues that we lose that sweetness of what it really means to be in love with God and to be so grateful for his mercy and his kindness and his goodness to us and how we need to come back to that. And a couple of people commented, I still remember when I was first saved, when I first came to know Christ in that exhilaration, that excitement that I had. And sometimes as we go along and get involved in all these other things, we lose that. And that's really what this series is about, is bringing us back to the heart and soul of what our Christian life is really about. Well, in the first message we learned that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. We looked at Genesis chapter 5 verses 21 through 24 where twice it says Enoch walked with God and then it says Enoch walked with God and he was and he was not for God took him. Here is this man Enoch and in Genesis chapter 5 if you're familiar with it it's this genealogy that says this person was born to this person and this person lived for so many years and then it goes down and down and then all of a sudden there is this break this divine pause and it says Enoch walked with God. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And that has fascinated both Jews and Christians for centuries. And the great commentary on Genesis 5.24 is the Bible itself. It is Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5, which we looked at last week. And I just want to recite it for you again because it really tells us what Genesis 5.24 is talking about. Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith. And it says in Hebrews 11.5, by faith Enoch was taken up so they should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. As I said last week, that one verse is chock full of content. Enoch walked by faith because he's included with all the great men and women of faith in the Bible. And the Bible tells us that he was taken up so that he should not see death. He did not die. Here is a man who walked with God and God just took him. He didn't die as we will die, as all others have died, except Elijah who was taken up in a chariot of fire. And it says he was not found. As I shared last week, it must be they were looking for him because he was not found. They couldn't find him. And they couldn't find him because it says right here, it tells us right in the Bible, Hebrews 11.5, he was not found because God had taken him. He was walking, what a beautiful picture. He was just walking with God in sweet fellowship and communion and God just took him, took him to heaven. And now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. I shared a number of things with you last Sunday night about what it means to walk with God, but at the very heart of it, at the very heart of it, is a life pleasing to God. It says it right here, that to walk with God is to live a life that is pleasing to him. Another man that was said to have walked with God was Noah. In Genesis 6, 9, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, And then we have that statement, that beautiful statement, Noah walked with God. 
Whatever else we know about Noah, we know this, Noah walked with God. And as I shared at the end of the message last Sunday night, of all the statements that we could make about the Christian life, one of the most important is this. To be a Christian is to walk with God. It is. All of these other side issues that come into the Christian life, that come into the church life, that come into our private lives, to be a Christian is to walk with God. And I shared with you that if at your funeral service all they say about you is she walked with God, he walked with God, if that's all they say about you, we will have known, or we will know that you have lived a wonderful and full life. You will have lived a life pleasing to God. They may not be able to say you were wealthy. They may not be able to say you were famous. They may not be able to say that you held some high position of power. But oh, if they can say you walked with God, that means everything. It really does. You will have lived for what was most important on this earth. Well, that brings us to the second great summation. And our second point is the whole duty of man. In the ESV there, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment every, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And I want to share with you tonight, when the Bible says this is the whole duty of man, you need to pay attention. Whenever you see in scripture and it says this is the whole duty of a human being, I want to know what is the whole duty. I want to know that. If the inspired word of God says this is our whole duty, then I think we should really want to know what that is. And so we are going to look at three things tonight. The fear of God, keeping his commandments, and living in constant awareness of the coming judgment of God. So first of all, first of all tonight, the whole duty of man is to fear God. Ecclesiastes, as a book, ends where the book of Proverbs begins. In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. In Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, it says the fear of the Lord is is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I love that verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, Solomon ends Ecclesiastes where the book of Proverbs began. The fear of the Lord. There are many things we could say about the fear of the Lord but at its heart, the fear of the Lord is that attitude of reverence and awe that God's people show to him because they love him and they respect his greatness and power. The fear of the Lord means that you are overwhelmed with the attributes of God, who he is in his love, his grace, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness, his holiness, his eternality, his immutability that he doesn't change, cannot change. It's impossible for him to change. We are just overwhelmed 
by those things. It is going to Revelation chapters 4 and 5 where we have what I think is one of the greatest scenes in the Bible where we come before the throne of God and before the throne of the slain lamb. And there is this incredible picture of the crystal sea in the throne of God or it is going to Isaiah chapter 6 where we see the great train of the robe of God filling the temple and the temple shaking because of the glory of God and the seraphim flying around saying holy 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 is the Lord God almighty the whole earth is full of his glory and when we are overwhelmed by those things when we are enraptured by those things that's what it means to fear God I want to live my life for the greatness and power of the God who has revealed himself in the pages of scripture. It does not mean to be afraid of God because in 1 John 4.18 it says that perfect love casts out fear. We're not afraid of God like we were before we came to know him. But we still revere him. We are in awe of him because of his greatness and because of his power. It overwhelms us. It's almost like it knocks us back because it is so wonderful and so beautiful and so amazing. The person who fears the Lord loves God's word and longs to obey it. Not because he has to, because he, but because he wants to. If this great God revealed in scripture and his greatness and power who rules over all things, who knows the beginning from the end, who is so majestic and so holy and so wonderful and so awe-inspiring, if the Bible is his words, I want to know it. I want to know that book. And so I come to him and I want to know everything he has to tell me everything about him so I can know him better and everything that he wants me to do as he protects me and loves me and guides me and directs me. The person who fears the Lord does not play around with sin but has a sensitive and God-honoring conscience. And that's how I look at it. Sometimes there are those religions or denominations where it's almost like they've got the proverbial ruler ready to slap you on the hand if you don't follow the rules, if you don't do all the do's or the don'ts. And, and for some people, the Christian faith becomes nothing but a set of rules and so a lot of times they abandon it or they walk away from it. But that's not what the Christian life is. It is not. The reason I choose not to sin is because I love him so much. You love him so much. We are so in awe of him, so enthralled with him that my conscience becomes so sensitive to sin. Remember what it said about Enoch. He was commended because he lived a life pleasing to God. Do you want that tonight? Do you want to live a life pleasing to him I do. I'm not always there. I've got a long ways to go, but that's what I desire. That's what my passions want is to please him. And so I become sensitive to not pleasing him. It's not like I think there's all these things I can't do because I'm a Christian. No, I want to honor him. 
I want my conscience to be sensitive to what he's sensitive to. What he delights in, I want to delight in. You see, the fear of the Lord brings us to our knees in loving submission to God. Loving, joyful submission to God. Psalm 111 verse 10. Great verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. I love that. The fear of the Lord, that's where you become wise. That's where you become a wise man. You become a wise woman. You become a wise young man. You become a wise young woman. All who practice the fear of the Lord have good understanding. That's a promise. All who practice the fear of the Lord have good understanding. And so let us praise him because his praise endures forever. Love this quote. I have it in the bulletin there for you in the PowerPoint notes. But Oswald Chambers, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you don't fear God, you fear everything else. That's a great way to look at it. When you fear God, you don't need to fear anything else. But when you don't fear God, you fear everything else. The whole duty of man is to fear God. Secondly, the whole duty of man is to keep God's commandments. God is the creator and designer of all of life. And only he knows what is the, be- the very best for all of his creation. The only one who knows what is the very best for your life, I mean the very best for you, is God himself. And that's why he gives us his commandments, not to deprive us of some pleasure, but so that we might enjoy his pleasure to the very fullest, to the maximum. You know, this is so important, to fear God and keep his commandments. I, I think of the the great sexual confusion that exists in our culture right now. So much confusion. And it's only getting more confusing all the time. And it's the liberal view versus the conservative view. It's the progressive view versus the traditional view. But for the Christian, it is none of those things. It is what does God say? It is what does his word say? Because God wants your very best. How has he created and what does he want for you in every area of your life, including your sexual life? How did he design you as male and female? What is his design for marriage? That's what we want. We fear him, therefore, therefore, we keep his commandments because we know that he wants what is the very, very best for us. Joyful obedience to the Lord is the great evidence of the fear of the Lord. Joyful obedience to the Lord is the great evidence of the fear of the Lord. If we don't obey his commandments, we are serving God with our lips, but not with our hearts. I can say till I'm blue in the face that I fear the Lord. I can say till I'm blue in the face that I love Jesus. But how am I living? Does my life betray me? If I truly fear the Lord, if I truly love him and live in awe of who he is, then I will want to obey him. My life should obey him. 
And this goes along perfectly. I mean absolutely perfectly with the teaching that Enoch walked with God. You see, the whole duty of man is to meet with God and to know God and to want to please him in everything we do. We could paraphrase Genesis 5.24 that Enoch feared God and kept his commandments. We could. Enoch walked with God, which means Enoch feared God and kept his commandments. You see, when Solomon looked at life under the sun, which is a phrase, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, he uses over and over again, under the sun. When Solomon looked at life under the sun, everything seemed fragmented and meaningless. We think of the familiar refrain in the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Within the King James Version, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And so he looks at life under the sun and he sees that from a human standpoint, from man's viewpoint, it seems there's no difference between the wicked and the good, between those who live for God and those who don't. All of life seems so fragmented and so meaningless, but, and this is how he concludes the book, this is where this all brings him. When he looked at life from God's point of view, From an eternal perspective, everything came together in a beautiful, unified harmony. Everything made sense. From under the sun, from man's viewpoint, nothing made sense. And that's why the whole history of mankind is dotted with esoteric, almost depressing philosophers who talk about the meaninglessness of life. But oh, when you look at life from God's perspective, through his eternal word, as you look at life from eternity, then everything is this unified, beautiful harmony under the design of God. Let me say to all of us tonight, the fulfillment of the soul's greatest longings is found in glad obedience to God's commandments. The fulfillment of the soul's deepest longings is found in glad obedience to God's commandments. The whole duty of man is to fear God. Secondly, the whole duty of man is to keep his or to keep God's commandments. And then third, the whole duty of man is to live in constant awareness of the coming judgment of God. To live in constant awareness of the coming judgment of God. This is a familiar refrain also in the book of Ecclesiastes. Seems to be a prominent sub-theme, we would say, in our Bible study in the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 3.17, Solomon says this, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9. Very interesting verse. He writes, Rejoice, O young man, 
in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Enjoy your young life. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. From a Christian perspective, from a full New Testament perspective, we could say, in our freedom and liberty in Christ, live life to the fullest. Enjoy the pleasures of God. Enjoy the beautiful creation that God has given us. Enjoy your family relations. Enjoy them to the fullest. But know this. Do know this. That one day, God will bring everything in your life into account and into judgment. Doesn't mean you shouldn't enjoy them any less, but just know that it purifies our pleasures. It purifies our joys. You see, the whole duty of man is to be ever conscious of the fact that one day, one day, every single person here, every single person here is going to stand before God. And you are going to give an account for the way that you lived your life. Now, Praise God in Christ because I am clothed in his righteousness. I will not be judged for my salvation. That's all taken care of. It was taken care of at the cross. It was taken care of the day I trusted Christ as Savior. So don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about eternal hell or the lake of fire. However, however, even as Christians... We will stand before what is known as the Bema Seat Judgment and we will give an account to God for the way we have lived our Christian lives. Romans chapter 14, a very interesting chapter. In Romans 14, Paul talks about how we have liberty and freedom. Some people may choose to use one day in a special way. Others may treat all days the same. That there is liberty and freedom in certain areas of the Christian life. And we may have differences on how we exercise that liberty and freedom. But Paul says in Romans 14, never judge your brother. Never judge your brother on those non-biblical, extra-biblical things where they may choose to do something that you choose not to do. However, brings it all together in Romans 14, 12. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Remember that. As you exercise your liberty and your freedom in Christ, remember this, you will one day give an account of yourself to God. That's not written to unbelievers. That's written to believers, clearly in Romans 14. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So let me say it again. We are to enjoy. Enjoy life in the great liberty and freedom that we have in Christ. But knowing that it is a liberty and freedom that longs to bring every aspect of our lives into perfect alignment with God and his commandments. So as I exercise my freedom in Christ, as I enjoy the greatness of all that he's given me, as I am, John, as John Piper famously says, a Christian hedonist, enjoying the pleasures of God to their very fullest, their exhilarating fullness. As we do that, let us make sure that everything we do comes into perfect alignment with God and his commandments. So, 
The whole duty of man is to fear God. The whole duty of man is to keep God's commandments. And the whole duty of man is to live in constant awareness of the coming judgment of God. In Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, if you want to look at that little portion in the bulletin, I just want to use that as our closing statement tonight. Now all has been heard. The end of the book of Ecclesiastes, after all 11 and a half chapters, we come to the end of chapter 12. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Now what I want to do, just before I close in prayer and they come and have a closing song, I just want to tie this into our business meeting tonight. As we go to our business meeting, we'll conduct the affairs, the matters that we need to address. But I want us, once again as a church, to come into this meeting with grateful hearts. I know most of you know this, but at the end of 2018, we ended up $133,000 in the black. $133,000 was our giving over our budgeted expenses. And as I shared with the deacons and elders on Thursday night, we ought to be so humbled by that, so grateful. We should never take that for granted. It is likely there will be many years where that is not the case, at least not, not by that much. But as we see that, as we see what God has graciously done among us, let us not become smug. Let us not become complacent. Let us not think all these things just take care of themselves. No, no, no. Let us say, our God is so merciful and so gracious and so kind to us. And we know in the depths of our soul we do not deserve this. We do not. But he has been kind to us anyway. Let that kind of goodness cause us to be as passionate as we've ever been in wanting to love and serve Christ. Let us look at 2019 and say he is so kind and so merciful and so gracious, I want to give him everything. I just want to give him every part of my life. Let there be no hidden part of my being. I want to use it all to serve Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that in the midst of the complexities of Scripture, there are those passages that so summarize for us, so help us to understand what you desire from us. And as those post-cross, we know that in Christ, through Christ, because we have Christ living in us, we are able to live a life that pleases and honors you. And I pray that in this new year, we would long to love you, and to live for you. Thank you for your goodness and kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.